In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures in its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash Big Climb. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure. And they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 76 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Oh, sweet, sweet goodness, we have news. We have stuff to talk about. We have baseball stuff to talk about. Andy, we have stuff to talk about. We do, and we don't have to, like, you know, play tiddlywinks with each other and, and go into past Giants history and, and, and tap dance over all kinds of stuff. We actually can discuss and break down and talk about Something that the Giants organization did in terms of player inventory. This is so exciting. We're actually going to talk about future baseball, not is there going to be future baseball, not past baseball, but future baseball, because this is a draft-themed episode. The Giants, uh, they had a first-round pick yesterday, and they drafted Patrick Bailey. And he's a hitter. He's a switch hitter. He's got some pop. Uh, that sounds great. Why is why is everyone confused? Well, Grant, he does happen to play a position that requires shin guards and a chest protector. And <laughs> the Giants just drafted one of those with the second overall pick uh, two years ago named Joey Bart. And they still have Buster Posey under contract for this year and next. And Posey has said that he kind of wants to hang around if there's any possibility for that beyond uh, his guaranteed contract. And so, yeah, you sort of think, well, gosh, their system's a little thin on pitching now. Um, they can always use an outfielder because they haven't developed one since, at, like, Gary Mat- uh, Maddox. Um, so, you know, let's go ahead and what, what? Let's take another college catcher out of the ACC. It's almost like they got uh, – um, like something got stuck in the, in the in the levers and pulleys, and they keep drafting ACC catchers. So yeah, on the surface, it is a very confusing pick. And a lot of people listening to this right now are probably confused. Even if you're like follow baseball, watch 162 games, like that doesn't necessarily mean that that this is going to make sense to you. I'll, I'll read a text from my dad. I got this this morning. He sent me uh, a picture of the headline in the Chronicle, and the full text reads. Huh? That's it. That's the text. Because the headline is, surprise, Giants choose a catcher in the first round. And yeah, you know what? If you're thinking Buster Posey's still around, Joey Bart's uh, ascended, probably he was going to start the the season in AAA in a normal year, but he might start it in the majors this year. 
What's the deal with the college catcher? I I have thoughts, and I'm sure you have thoughts. Uh, so I'll start with your thoughts. Oh, okay. Well, um, so basically, you know, we were on a Zoom call with Farhan Zaidi and um, uh, yesterday, uh, and uh, and basically what we asked him was, you know, how would you explain this? How would you explain drafting a catcher? And you know, Michael Holmes was on the call, the scouting director, and he lives in North Carolina. He lives 15 minutes away from uh, where uh, Patrick Bailey went to a little high school uh, near Greensboro. And he, he's known him since he was a high school kid. He was well-known at that time. He played for Team USA uh, on the under-18 team uh, twice. So he's had a lot of exposure um, you know, to high-level pitching, high-level competition. Um, he's gotten better every year offensively. Uh, I mean, he was off to a huge start uh, as a junior. In 17 games, he had six homers. He had three grand slams in an 11-game span. So he was trending in the right direction. They had a lot of information on him. And I think that was really important, especially in this just really unprecedented um, draft prep where you didn't have those three months of tracking players um, and having all these scouts going all over the country filing their reports. Um, I think they were looking for just as much certainty and as much safety in in getting a projectable player who could be a useful big leaguer. And the fact he's a switch hitter, the fact you could move him off catcher and and maybe he could play another position. Uh, Farhan Zaidi loves him some versatility, and this is a guy who would bring some roster versatility. uh, And I think that they can safely project his bat. So they just didn't want to really swing and miss on this pitch, uh, on this pick. And, uh, And they took the guy who was consensus the best player. And yeah, he doesn't really play the quote-unquote right position for for what their perceived need is. But we also know that Farhan Zaidi sees these guys as, you know, commodities. And they're not necessarily, you know, they're there to bring value to your system, often by matriculating and and being productive players, but often by being pieces in trades, by being pieces in in other deals. Um, So, you know, I I think they were just looking for the the safest pick at that time. uh, And and that's uh, why they landed on the guy they landed on. If you really, really, really believe in the bat, if you just 100% believe in the batch, then this pick makes sense. You don't have to think about him, like, where is he going to play? Like, this isn't McCovey Cepeda. This is... This is not how are you going to find at bats for this. I've written this before when it comes to the Bart Posey transition that if you're going to want a log jam at a position, you're going to want it at catcher. You're going to want the ability, just the the godsend ability to be able to catch one stud catcher 81 games out of the year and another 81 games out of the year and figure the rest out later. Um, you're seeing, you know, the Dodgers with Will Smith. He, he he's has extensive time in the infield. Like there, there's kind of like a... a a paradigm shift when it comes to what you might want to expect from your catcher and having two catchers is not a problem. And I go back to, you know, at first I was thinking, well, you know, if the Giants had two Buster Poseys the whole time since he came up in 2010, wouldn't they have been a better team? Of course. But that's unrealistic because, look, he's not going to be Buster Posey. No one's Buster Posey. Um, Joey Bart's not going to be Buster Posey. Buster Posey's like a once in a generation catcher. But let's take a a more modest example. Um, Jason Castro. Uh, I live in his valley. I live in Castro <laughs> Valley, which is his own valley. He owns the place. I pay him rent. Uh, but Jason Castro has had a modest career. Uh, he's had an all-star season. He's had some up seasons, some down seasons. But, you know, generally a solid catcher. And at no point since 2010 would the Giants have been a worse team with Jason Castro on it. And I think that is... 
something to keep in mind that if, if the worst comes to worst, this is not, well, I guess we got to put McCovey in left and then it, he really can't play left. Uh, it's not like that. I think that there is some room to really work in two plus offensive catchers. Yeah. So I have a couple questions. First of all, do you think there's ever been a ball player named Milbray? And if so, I really want to cover him. Uh, <laughs> Chester A. Milbray. He was, he was quite the gentleman dandy back in the 19 aughts. Um, second of all, there have been minor league players that see there's Ben Burling game, Calvin Burlingame, Dennis Burlingame, Craig Burlingame. Yeah, so there's been some Burling games. I don't see there's, there's even a Don Blazing game. We could give him partial credit. Um, <laughs> second of all, if you had a second Buster Posey on the roster, would he go by Gerald? I think he'd have to, right? Uh, I think, well, we know that you'd call them Buster's Posey, like Attorney General. <laughs> well, that's all twins I Twins running his family, so, you know, maybe he has a long-lost brother out there. <laughs> um, and and uh, I guess to make an actual point, um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, I, I think that you, you just – it makes sense to goose as much pr- production out of your lineup as you can. And it wasn't too long ago where, where shortstops were by and large seen as somebody who really caught the ball and hit eighth and hit 210 and you were fine with it. You know, if you had Mark Belanger, you you made the sign of the cross and said, "We love you, Mark Belanger. You're great." And and baseball moved away from that, and 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 now there's more offense at that position. And you wonder if this is really a, an intensive effort to kind of take the catching position where there hasn't been a lot of offense at that spot in, in recent years. A couple people uh, accepted. And maybe by by platooning and by making sure nobody starts more than like 75 games and you use three guys and run them through that position and keep all their legs fresher, maybe you end up getting more offensive production out of that position. You can play matchups out of that out of that slot more. Um, and, and, and maybe that gives those guys more time mentally to be able to process all the information that they have to process, which is way more than it was even three or four years ago. So I, I think it, it totally makes sense. If the catcher is really the brains of your operation, you can get more out of the lineup. You can keep them fresher. You can keep them more mentally charged, uh, by just spreading that workload around. And it really does sort of make sense on a, you know, sort of general philosophic level, uh, but you have to have the players to be able to do that. And the Giants are, I think, clearly, uh, you know, stockpiling at that position and feeling like that's not a bad position to stockpile at. And I can give you an example where a team has done this in the past and it's benefited the Giants. Uh, so, so bear with me a little bit. In 2007, the Reds drafted with the 15th overall pick, Devin Mesoraco. Uh, and at the time of the 2010 draft, he was the best catching prospect in baseball, if not the best, uh, he was up there. And so what did the Reds do in the first round of 2010? Uh, with the 12th pick, they, they drafted Yasmani Grandal, a catcher. And at the time, people were saying, what in the heck are you doing? You've got Mesoraco ready to catch uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, that position is settled. What are you doing? And I think we can take two lessons from this. Uh, one, the Reds used... Uh, Grandall to trade for Matt Latos, which helped the Giants tremendously. That's where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> there is no Ryan Hannigan spinning in disgust without uh, the cat, the Reds doing this. But they, you know, Matt Latos was a good pitcher for the Reds in that 2012 season. They targeted exactly who they wanted. They used that extra catcher to get him. And the Giants could do that. That is definitely on the table in a couple of years. Who knows where these uh, baseball twists and turns will take us. But I think an important part of that story is that Devin Mesoraco, eh, 
You know, he had he had a little bit of a career, but at no point was he the superstar catcher that everyone predicted he would be. So with Joey Bart having, what, 100 at-bats above A-ball? I mean, it, pumping the brakes... Is is probably advisable, and just saying, let's just get let's get thirty great catchers in the organization and figure it out later. Like, let's not assume he's going to be an all. Yeah, one thing that we kind of forget is that the Giants had optioned out Joey Bart just a couple days before uh, COVID nineteen became a pandemic and spring training ended. I mean, they had made the determination that um, you know uh, we, we aren't going to keep him all the way to the end of camp to you know have him catch uh, big leaguers and, and have him have that exposure. Um, you know, they, they had seen enough to know that he wasn't ready. Um, and you wonder if there was anything that, that, uh, that they saw that they didn't really like, um, or if it was just a matter of, of, of getting him out there and catching his AAA pitching staff, uh, in minor league camp. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's far from a sure thing, even though he was the second overall pick. I mean, we always hear Mike Zanino as sort of like the floor for what he could be, but, um, yeah, if, if it's looking like you don't, you don't ever bank on, on sure things. And so you don't say, well, Joey Bart's got this, uh, position locked up for the next 10 years. So we don't need to take a catcher. I mean, can you imagine if, one team that did do that was the Baltimore Orioles. They took Matt Wieters, and then the very next year, everyone knew they were not going to take Buster Posey, and they took uh, like Tyler Matzek, a uh, pitcher who didn't have you know, much of a distinguished career. Imagine if they had drafted Buster Posey. I mean, it would have been quite different. Um, in fact, I think there's a, a an article of yours recently that uh, delved into something along those lines uh, with one of the worst photoshops I've ever seen of Posey wearing... <laughs> <laughs> a Tampa Bay raised chest protector. Wow, that was that. I, how many visceral reactions did you get to that one? Uh, you know, I didn't read the comments. Uh, <laughs> Wise I, man. I, I'm wondering. I, you know, actually, that's not true. I, I did peek in there and I saw Rays fans grumbling, and which was not necessarily my point. It uh, in the piece. You know, what if the Tampa Bay Rays drafted Buster Posey? I create alternate realities where the Dodgers are two-time World Series champions, uh, champions after trading for Posey, where uh, the Cavaliers never win, but the Thunder do like I, I go silly on it, but at the same time, that's a good point about the Orioles. Like if they had if they had Posey number one on their draft board and they drafted Posey, would have been way better off, way better off as an organization. I think I think that's important, and I also think your point about Bart is is uh, solid insofar as what Mike Zanino, what tool he's missing, one tool is the difference between him being like up and down, kind of, sort of, okay, and a superstar. And that one tool is the hit tool. That's, you know, he's he's got the power. He has, uh, maybe not the patience, but, you know, he, he's, he has the defense. You know, he has gold glove caliber defense or something just on the second tier below that. But he just struggles a little bit to make contact, a little bit to, con- to, to, to control the strike zone. And we haven't seen Bart necessarily prove that that is a tool that he has. I mean, when Zanino was in the minors, he's hitting, uh, you know, uh, 286 in AAA, 293 in AAA. So it's not necessarily about the average. It's about can he do that in the majors? Can he make consistent contact? Maybe Bart can. I'm hoping Bart can. Bart probably thinks he can. The Giants probably think he can. But until you see that, let's not project out the next 10 years at catcher until that's proven. And and Bart was the last sort of uh, player um, taken um, 
well, in, in the last draft that John Barr was in charge of. So we got to remember this, this might not be a player that uh, Farhan Zaidi and his group would have taken. It's possible. And I'm, I'm going to crib a little bit from uh, Roger Munter, who I know you're familiar with his work. And he, uh, if you don't know Roger Munter, uh, find him um, on his uh, either a Substack page or, or or follow him on Twitter. He's got just a lot of really great thoughts um, from a fan perspective on player development. And uh, and I often read what he writes and just nod my head uh, because he, he really has a very good um, grasp on things. And he, he puts out some bullet points in the piece he wrote today where he's drawing conclusions about sort of what the organizational philosophy of, of this Giants front office is based on, uh, you know, uh, based on the Bailey pick. And he said they like track records. They like certainty of value at the top of the draft. They will be slightly risk averse. They're going to make heavy use of analytical models. Those models weigh age and class heavily. And, and, uh, and Bailey's 21. He's a little young for his class. Those models weigh strikeout to walk ratio heavily. We know that's a big Farhan-Zaidi thing. And, uh, and this is a guy who walked more than he struck out in college. Uh, and it says these models weigh hitters over pitchers because, uh, you know, hitters generally have a clearer track record to the big leagues and there's a little bit less risk. So I, I think he nailed it with all of this. It, all of it points to the player who is available, uh, who best fit this model, is, is the player that they took. Let's pause to talk about Hydrant. You want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels. To avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you need to make sure you're hydrated. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code ATHLETIC for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code Athletic. Okay, so what's the worst case scenario here? The worst case scenario is that neither Bart uh, nor Bailey pan out, and the Giants don't have another productive catcher until Benji Molino III in 2062 or something. Like I, uh, that's like the worst case scenario. No one's written that. The best case scenario is that they're both hitting, and they're both like just how do you manage this? How do you get them both in the lineup? And the worst case scenario, I mean, that's a total failure and that nothing nothing has helped. The best case scenario, still good, still good for the organization. And uh, kind of related to this and supporting this point, I'm going to give you a trivia question. Who was is the number one in terms of wins above replacement, the number one catcher ever drafted in the amateur draft? Mm. Well, now wait a second. He was this person would have been drafted as a catcher. Mm-hmm. So like I could count like Bryce Harper. Uh I think they announced Bryce Harper as outfielder right away. Oh. Because he, he's not showing up on this well, list. Well, that's no fun. It wouldn't be Bryce Harper anyway. Is it, um, how, what about like a Kenley Jansen? Ooh, I, it doesn't say that in Or a Troy Percival. Well, you know what? I don't, they wouldn't even be close to this guy. This guy's in the Hall oh, of Fame. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. So it's, I'm assuming it's someone who did not like go on to a great career as a catcher. He could have. 
You know what? This is not where he wasn't moved off the position because he couldn't handle the position. He was moved off because it suited the team a little bit better. This is wrong, but I'm going to say Pablo Sandoval. (laughs) No, but that also plays into another point I wanted to make. No, uh, Craig Biggio. Oh, that's right. Okay, sure. He made it to the big league as a catcher. And I remember being being a kid and his baseball card came out one year and it was catcher, then it was second base. I'm like, how do you move from that position to that position? That just seems theoretically impossible. Right. And and, but it's a good point in in that, you know, these positions, if you believe in the bat, you are giving yourself with a catcher a floor. And that floor is catcher who can hit a little bit. And if you're sold in the defense, I mean, that raises the floor super, super high when it comes to a first round pick. And first round picks, I mean, the floors are always, you know, in the toilet if, if you go to the worst case scenario. But like a catcher with a chance to hit even just a little bit, you've pushed that floor up. And so if you believe in the bat, you you don't have to necessarily think of him as tethered to that position. You don't have to think of, well, if he can't catch, he's finished. If you believe that the bat it would play at other positions, you've given yourself a lot of lot of different um, opportunities. Uh, so you've got Biggio, you have uh, uh, Dale Murphy. I believe Eddie Murray was drafted as a catcher. Uh, but then you get, you know, uh, again, these are best, best case scenarios. But then you get to guys like Neil Walker, uh, Scott Hatterberg, you know, there are guys, there are ways to fold players in if they're not catching. But if you believe in the bat, like you've you've raised that floor considerably. And plus, there's the really, really cool uh, possibility that when there's a mound meeting uh, in like the second or third inning, when a starter's teetering, uh, then pitching coach Andrew Bailey will walk out there along with catcher <laughs> Patrick Bailey, and it'll be uh, double Baileys on the mound at the same time. I have a double Baileys in this coffee <laughs> cup right now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this goes down so smooth. No, it, but <laughs> you bringing up Pablo Sandoval reminds me of a point. I think I was going to forget it, but it's a super salient point to this. And it's that when Buster Posey was drafted, there were more than a couple comments on McCovey Chronicles at the time with, I'm not sure why they did this. Pablo Sandoval is the catcher of the future. <laughs> and 100%, you know, and at the time in 2008, he was. Before Buster Posey came up, uh, Pablo Sandoval was the catcher of the future. Uh, let me see how many games he played at different positions in 2000. Uh, Let's see. He played a little first. He, the third base experiment started, but he, you know, basically split his time three ways only because Benji Molina was the cleanup hitter, which still ranks me. Um, but like, you know, I do believe if the Giants had no other option, they might have just sort of kept Sandoval back there and and seen and saw what happened. I I don't think he was moved off because he was a wretched defensive catcher. I think they would have lived with it uh, when it came to his bat. Am I making that up? I do think they made an evaluation that he was never going to be a good defensive catcher. Um, you know, mm-hmm, and, sure. and but I think it was more a thought that this guy's body's not going to allow him to play another position. Um, and, uh, you know, there were times when they were right. Uh, he got too big to play third base, including in the 2010 postseason, um, when you ended up with uh, Juan Uribe moving over to from short to, to third and or from third to short, I should say. And, 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 uh, and all of a sudden, this guy, Renteria guy, uh, started getting in the lineup again. Uh, and then he was kissing the World Series MVP trophy. Still crazy that all that happened, right? But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I do think they made an evaluation that, hey, they liked his bat. That's where his value was. How can we get that bat in the lineup without really killing us in on the other side of the ball? And so, um, yeah, I think if he had shown a little more with, with 
with um, behind the plate uh, that that maybe he could handle it, then then they might have let him stay there. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think that they realized third base is where he was going to hurt them the least, and and they were right. And I do want to clarify one thing before we move on, because I know that there's someone out there who is uh, pedantic enough to still be steaming about it. I was saying the most valuable catcher drafted in the first round, um, Johnny Bench, was a second rounder. Uh, so I do want to clarify that Biggio is the most valuable catcher drafted in the first round. Um, but I I think the Sandoval Posey uh, point goes back to the idea of you, you just don't know. Like baseball's going to, uh, I'm going to use a, a, a term here, curveball. Baseball likes to throw curveballs at you. And you just, I enjoy going back to uh, roster projecting threads from three years ago. I mean, just like three years ago, the, a roster projecting thread was like, well, you know, you get Cody Ross in there and that's your lefty masher and like stuff like that. Maybe not three years ago, but you go back three years and things are totally different. You're reading it with the, the benefit of hindsight and going, whoa, that was that was an assumption and a half. And I think that goes with minor leagues triple. Like you can't just say, well, once Elliot Ramos is up and you've got Hunter Bishop in there and and you've got uh, uh, Luciano and he's going to stick it short. Like you just can't, you know, write that out uh, for the next year, much less the next five. Yeah. Otherwise, they would basically go to the winter meetings and they would have their work done in five minutes and they'd all be enjoying cigars and brandies and be done with it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, you have to have all these contingencies in place because – you know, your best laid plans are, are almost worthless. Um, and that especially applies to the draft, which is why I just kind of have to softly chuckle to myself when people have very strident opinions about the draft. I mean, there's one person I even responded to on Twitter. I'm like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. Trust me, I know you don't know what you're talking about because I don't know what I'm talking right. about. You, you go back and you look at the mock draft boards and it's just like the worst uh, track record of, of and no one was right. No one was even close to right. It looks like people picked in sixteen seeds. You know, they go all the way to the final four. I mean, it's it's. I I value a lot of the work that uh, journalists who who do all of the um, uh, amateur scouting and the draft preparation. There's so much work that goes into it, and I so admire it because that stuff isn't given to you on game notes. I mean, that's stuff you all have to work to get, and you work the phones to get, and you get people to tell you things that they're not supposed to tell you. And for me, that's got huge value when it comes to, okay, here's who the Giants have taken. Now I can go and I can you know read up on who some of these players are and instantly get up to speed. Where I find that there's very limited value is in all of the mock drafts. You know, who are they going to take? Right. Well, that's not that's not the pertinent question here. And I think the only reason everyone does them is because they get page views and clicks. But um, for me, the value comes after the draft. And, and that's when you see um, all of the great work that these guys uh, have done, including Keith Law uh, on our site. Uh, and you can instantly, uh, you know, read up on them and, and, and know that they're more than just a name. Yeah, I mean, I I do enjoy a good mock draft just to sort of like, you know, I'll put myself in the the spot where I'm pretending that's who the Giants picked. And okay, how do I feel about this? And so like, uh, okay, say the Giants drafted Peter Crow Armstrong. Let's learn about him. And so I enjoy that aspect of the mock draft. But certainly you don't know what the Giants are going to do, what their board looks like. You know, as long as we're on the subject of first round catchers, I, I'm old enough to remember when the Twins drafted Joe Maurer. And there was a, a not insignificant portion of the Twins fan base that was incensed because Mark Pryor went number two. And they wanted Mark Pryor. 
they, I mean, it, because Mark Pryor is one of the greatest college pitching prospects ever. And if he stayed healthy, he probably would have been one of the greatest pitchers ever. So that's not to say they were wrong to want Mark Pryor. But in the end, what happened with Joe Maurer is he became a borderline Hall of Fame catcher who was just identified with the twins and he had literal twins. Like that's how you know he was the right pick. He has literal twins. I mean, that's how, you know, they made the right pick, but uh, that's one that comes back. I love how the twins just own their brand. I mean, you know, Joe Maurer has twins. They employ a closer who has an identical twin who pitches for the giants. Uh, And and by the way, that, that to me is one of the, the, the bummers that stands out about the things we've missed so far in the, what should have been baseball schedule in 2020 is the only ballpark I haven't been to is Target Field. And I was really looking forward mm. to to covering that uh, interleague series at Minnesota. The Giants have never played at Minnesota uh, ever, uh, e- even with interleague play being around as long as it's been. It's, it's crazy. And I was really looking forward to that. And of course, you're going to see the Rogers brothers, uh, Tyler and Taylor, uh, presumably both would have been on the roster and um, and they would have been able to uh, meet in a major league game. And that would have been just so cool. So, you know, let's hope that they get that opportunity some other time. Now, I, I did for the, the fake baseball league that we're running, the Athletic Alternate Universe. We had a little draft and so I did a little bit of scouting and the, the pitcher that I fell in love with was was Nick Bitsko. So I just, I love the kid. He's, he's a, I think he just turned 18, so he's got the youth there. That doesn't necessarily mean as much for pitchers as it does hitters, but uh, I love his stuff, his profile. So uh, the Rays took him number 24. I was secretly hoping, you know, that the Giants might take him just because I, I, I love the idea of a young fireball throwing uh, pitcher in the, the organization. At the same time, I'm really excited about Bailey from the clips that I've seen. I'm useless when it comes to scouting, but I do enjoy when he gets a hold of a ball. It, the, these aren't cheapies. He's got uh, a swing that you can sort of see where the Giants were were uh, impressed, and he has one of the, the greatest nicknames that has ever come out of the draft, I think. Usually you have to work up to these nicknames. Uh, tell us what the nickname so, is. So, you know, we know that uh, they, they chanted Hail to the Buster, to Buster Posey. Uh, I, I guess that people just like pounded their fists and went Joey Bart or something for, for Joey Bart because right now Joey Bart has no nickname. He's just Joey Bart. And then people say, ha ha, like the train. But that's about it. We don't have a nickname for him yet. <laughs> However, Patrick Bailey arrives fully formed with a nickname. It's not Beetle, uh, his, which would have been cool. <laughs> but his nickname is Patty Barrels, which you have to say with a slight Irish lilt. Patty Barrels. Uh. Patty Barrels. Ah, it's a good kid. Uh, Patty Barrels. I mean, you know, reference to barreling up the ball with the bat. Uh, but Patty Barrels, because we've heard... Uh, um, who, who has the doubles nickname? I've, I, I've stolen it so many times. Uh... Who's got the doubles? Like, it's it's like Petey Doubles, darn it. Oh, I, I'm Joey Doubles? Uh, Barry Doubles? It sounds like that. Oh, my brain's not working because of all the Baileys. Delicious Baileys. <laughs> um, but Patty Barrels is a great nickname. Patty Barrels is just, it rolls up the tongue and, and you hope that he can take that into the season. And switch hitting catcher, that is a white whale of a prospect. And, you know, that is Captain Ahab looking for a switch hitting catcher. And that is just because you could do so much. If you had a switch hitting catcher behind Buster Posey, 
guess what? Buster Posey's at first, and he's still mashing against left-handers, and whoa, you still have a great hitting catcher behind the plate, or if he's playing third or second like Will Smith. I mean, there's so much you can do, and that's what Zaidi's thinking. He's thinking, if, if I hit you know, the lottery ticket on both of these guys, what can't I do? It's not, what is this going to prevent me from doing? It's, what won't I be able to do if I have just two catchers who can rake? Like, that solves so much angst when it comes to the lineup and, and the planning. And, and it's really, it's sort of refreshing to think about how excited he must yeah, be. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mentioned that he hit three grand slams in an in 11-day in span uh, this spring. Uh, I also failed to mention that he homered from both sides of the plate in a game, and it was against Iowa. Uh, this year. And last year, he did the same thing. And nobody had ever done that in NC State program history before. So, I mean, clearly, is, he's not somebody who's getting by uh, on his left-handed swing. I mean, he's he's uh, he's somebody who can redirect the baseball from both sides. So, yeah, that's, that's very exciting. Yeah. And so, it, just to be clear, I am not saying that I give this grade an A+. It's exactly the pick that, or I give this draft pick an A+. This is exactly the pick I would have made. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that uh, a, I'm an idiot, and even if I had an opinion, you shouldn't listen to me. It looks like the kid can hit. I don't know. It looks like the kid can field. I don't know. Um, but the idea of drafting a catcher, I, I don't find fault with that at all. That's the point I'm trying to make. It, so much can happen in the next year, five years. It, so much can happen with a uh, player's development, whether it's a player who's in the upper minors like Bart or a player who's, who's going to have his first professional experience like Bailey. Just so much can happen that if you're telling me the the good folks running the Giants think that that was their best, the best way to infuse talent into their system, yeah, okay, I'll yeah. buy it because I certainly don't know any better and makes sense to me. Yeah, and I think that Farhan Zaidi basically said precisely what you said in, in pretty much one word choice that he made. And uh, he said, you never draft for need. And I won't even say need, but I'll say you never draft for perceived need. And that sort of bakes in everything that you just talked about. Um, you know, we, we don't, we think that they don't have a needed catcher, but that's a perception and that perception can change, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and again, this only applies to baseball, uh, because when it comes to other sports, whether it's basketball or football, you will see those players the very next year and they will, you know, have an impact on your, on your title hopes. Uh, this isn't, uh, this isn't as wild as say the Timberwolves, Timberwolves drive drafting two point guards and Steph Curry not being one of them. This isn't that. Uh, I just like bringing up that fact, uh, uh, Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn instead of Steph Curry, because it's funny. It's funny to me um, that a team did that. This isn't that. This is baseball. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in a year from baseball. And most importantly, Zaidi and the Giants don't Hey, know. you know what's kind of cool? As much fun as I think we both are having talking about, like, actual baseball and actual strategy again. The Giants are going to take a bunch more players today, and we'll get to talk about them uh, next week. And uh, that's I'm looking forward to that too. I'm sorry they will not be able to nab Bitsko. Yes, uh, I do like the nab oh. nab Bitsko. I had that all ready to go. I guess if if the Giants <laughs> took him, um, I was secretly kind of hoping he would be there uh, on day two as well, just because I mean, watching the video of this kid, man, the arm speed is unbelievable, and he seems just so interesting. He's you know he skipped uh, accelerated his his uh, to to senior year of high school, just entered the draft at the very last minute. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, uh, he, he's, he's somebody where you watch like him throw the ball like two minutes on, in an indoor cage. And it's like, wow, this is, uh, some incredible athleticism. 
But he won't be there. The Rays got him. Uh, but I'm sure the Giants will find many more interesting players on day two. If the Giants were to nab Bisco, uh, would he have been a trade chip? Yes. He might have been a trade chip. Maybe they could have traded him for Kevin Ritz. Could have come out of retirement. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I'm, the only thing I'm bummed about is that there aren't going to be uh, 40 or 39 or I guess no, because they have the supplemental picks. 41 of their players to talk about. We'll, we will be able to talk about six more players. Hopefully one of them, uh, this is how I scout, hopefully one of them has a silly name. That is, that is all I'm looking for. Um, Matt Frisbee, still in the organization, still looking good. All right, this has been episode 76. No players in Giants history have been number 76. That's why we didn't name this after or or honor a player in this episode. We will be back next week. Thanks to Tanika Smothers for all her great work. And thank you for listening.